This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. I'm Brian Tetta, executive producer of The View. It's Monday, Martin Luther King Jr. Day, and I'm here with Sonny Hostin. This is Behind the Table. Hello, Sonny, and uh, it is Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Ah, yes. Happy Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Happy, happy MLK Jr. Day. What was it like in your house growing up? You know, it was a big deal. Um, my dad and my mother, they were both uh, social justice advocates. Sure. Um, they were activists as well. I mean, you imagine an interracial couple getting married a year after the loving decision came down. So I think in, in a sense, they felt that they owed the movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and my father would often say, why are we celebrating President's Day? Why are we celebrating Washington's birthday when he owned slaves? Like my, they, they were very politically astute mm-hmm. and informative for you. And clearly. very informative yeah. for me, yeah. people that know me. And he uh, would play Stevie Wonder's uh, record uh, album songs in the key of life that had the happy that right. has really become the happy birthday uh, song for black people. Yes. Right. Like that's what we sing during mm-hmm. birthday parties. And he was like, listen to this. You see, there ought to be a day. And and he would like sort of sing it along. And when MLK um, finally got his day and he got his due, um, I mean, my father's company did not give that day off, Mm -hmm. but he took it off as a personal day. And I recall a time when I was working when even though it's supposed to be a federal holiday, some places that I worked did not. Observe it. So, and I always took the day off. I don't think I ever worked somewhere that observed it until I came to The View. Yes. And, and yes. Uh, Candy and me and Hillary yes. decided to do it. I don't know if it's always been a day here yeah. where we post-taped uh, Absolutely. a show. So the show that was on today, we taped earlier in the week. It's, a, holi- last week. it's a holiday, yeah. a federal holiday. And as you've said to me many times, it's a day for service. It's a day for service. And that's typically what I do. My family does. And one thing that I, that really struck me um, when Senator McCain came on the show, one thing that I always held against him was that he voted against having this mm-hmm. MLK Day recognition. And he said, listen, I've written about it, but I feel that it was one of the worst mistakes of my life. Right. And um, that really struck a chord with me because for, for someone to admit that this man should have been recognized mm-hmm. uh, for trying to bring people together— for a long time um, was pretty significant. Yeah, credit for him to, to admit yes. the mistake. Yes. Um, so many people don't. Mm, they don't. <laughs> so, people, um, so the Martin Luther King Day shows that we've been doing over the last seven or eight years, yeah. I'm really proud of them. Um, I am too. And I think uh, you certainly have a big hand in shaping what we do there. Thank you. Um, it's nice to be asked what, you know, what guests should we have and 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 what uh, what message resonates now, because right. every year is different. It, it really is. I mean, it's a different <laughs> conversation the year of, of yes. George Floyd than it yes. is this year and coming into an election yes. and things like that. So um, I'm very appreciative of, of your input and uh, and whoopies and, yeah. and uh, Audrey. Audrey and um, even Jada this year, I believe yeah. my assistant was, yeah. was very helpful. No, we just want to hear from from everybody who yeah. has, has a thought on it. And then uh, Jamie Hammer oversees this and does a terrific yes. job with her team. But um, the first 
the first, to your point, it's different every year. This yeah. year's hot topic we were talking about, I think because it's an election year, mm-hmm. how uh, Republicans are dealing with, with black history yes. um, and race yes. in general. And, and tell me what your thoughts are right now and what we think MLK would think about the state of this country. I, I think he would be devastated that the legislation that his friend John Lewis uh, worked on his entire life uh, has never come to pass, uh, that there have been attacks on our right to vote. Um, and that there has been this intentional long game play, in my opinion, by conservatives, by Republicans to erase black history and not only to erase black history, but to erase and dismantle systems. Right. And I think it was LBJ who said, you know, if you can convince the, the, the poorest or the lowest white man that he's better than the poorest or the lowest black man, then you can convince him of anything. And so what we're seeing is race, I think, and most especially history being used as this sort of wedge issue to divide our country more than ever. And um, one of the things that I've been thinking about that sort of keeps me up at night is this notion that people feel that their station in life could be better, but for, let's say, someone that doesn't look like them. Right. And I'm seeing that more and more and more. And what I don't like is the erasure of contributions of immigrants, contributions of uh, black folks, contributions of uh, Jewish people, because we saw things like that in Nazi Germany. They burnt the books of Jewish intellectuals, right? Um, and what we're seeing is people don't know that uh, a black man invented refrigeration. They just don't know that. And when you're able to convince people that a set of people don't provide any um, contribution to a society, you can convince them that they're they're less than and that they are the problem. And I'm seeing that in Republican politics and it's working. I think it's inherent in it's a it's a flaw in American people and maybe in people everywhere. Mm-hmm. Personal responsibility for yeah. in general. And yeah. I think people want someone to blame. Yes, they do. And I think savvy people looking to manipulate others. Yes know that if they give them an other to blame, yes. it can be... It's grievance politics, yeah. and, it, and it works. People think, why does that person have a better car than I have mm-hmm. or a nicer car? Why does that person live in a nicer area? It can't be hard work. It's because of affirmative action. Why did that person go to get into that right. school? Um, and so you see this dismantling of all these advances that Martin Luther King wanted for this country. True equality, an equal playing field means that you have to be ready that someone that doesn't look like you may do better than you do, whether it be through hard work, whether it be through education, whether it be through um, just sheer determination. And in, in, in my view, you know, if you've been privileged your whole life and not only privileged, but let's say your mediocrity is considered excellence. When there's a true playing field that's equal, excellence wins the day. And then now you feel oppressed and you feel like someone took something from you. And it's it's just it's a shame because that is not what Dr. King wanted. I know Dr. King's daughter. Um, I, I'm, I'm honored to know her. And 
she's pretty disgusted at the state of things. Is it worse now than it was five years ago, six years ago? Yes. Or is it? It is. It's actually worse. Yes, it's worse. And, and the interesting thing is, you know, I was one of those people that thought, oh, my goodness, we have a black president. Sure. My father said he would never see it in his lifetime. We all cried. I actually had pictures of the Obama family up in my home the way a lot of people had the Kennedy family mm-hmm. up in their homes. And I think there was a backlash to that. Yeah. I think, again, it was, oh, my goodness. Now you have someone that doesn't look like me that went to a school that I couldn't get into mm-hmm. and that is the president, who, by the way, was kind of unassailable in terms of mor- moral character, character. compared yeah. to the former President uh, mm-hmm. Trump, who's been indicted on 91 um, counts, criminal charges in four different jurisdictions. Respect for how you get that in, in every conversation. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it's really something I think we're seeing a backlash to that. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Well, today on the show, we had uh, two absolutely phenomenal mm. guests. Mm. Um, let's talk first about uh, Yusef Salam, one of the Central yes. Park Five who were falsely accused, falsely accused and convicted of raping a woman in Central Park in 1989. Yeah. And now he's a New York City councilman. Yes, he um, is. I was so taken with every aspect of him. He's brilliant. Brilliant and uh, just so compelling to listen to. And filled with grace. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You've met him before. Tell me how you know him. Yeah, I am a friend's. I grew up with Ilyasa Shabazz, mm-hmm. Malcolm X's daughter. I know it sounds You're friendly kind of, with both Malcolm X's daughter I, and Martin Luther King. I know that sounds very crazy, but when you know me, you yeah. know the, that makes sense. So uh, we, uh, she, she actually lives in Westchester, and so I see her often. And she um, made it a point to reach out to Yusef Salam, and I got to meet him through her, and um, I knew immediately that he was different, that he was special. His mother was an extraordinary mother and support system for him. Uh, Some of the others, unfortunately, uh, of the exonerated five didn't have that. And when it came and so we kept in touch. Uh, He he had a card at the time. And uh, I we just definitely kept in touch. I gave him my information. He gave me his. And when that docuseries came out, um, when they see us, uh, uh, that Ava DuVernay directed, I think, just in such a wonderful way, I was asked to meet with all five of the exonerated five and to interview them. Mm-hmm. And I was struck by how the criminal justice system had affected each one. You know, Raymond uh, seemed to be doing pretty well. Um, Corey Wise seemed to be doing pretty well. Um, Youssef was excelling in my, in my view. He just, it, he depended, depended on his faith, and he had that grace, and he had a sense of forgiveness. And and one of the exonerated five, in, in my view, um, wasn't doing well. He was traumatized. And I spoke to Yusef about it actually off camera, and he said that he's just decided to leave a, lead a very private life because he was so traumatized by that experience. Understandable in a yeah. lot of ways. I mean, yeah. yeah. Um, do you, what do you remember about when all this took place in the early 90s? I was in high school, and I remember— Okay, I'm older than Sorry, you no, are. I, I, just a little. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Barely. I was in college. Well, but you were probably much more uh, aware of what was going on and paying attention I to what was, was going on. I was I looking was. at headlines of the paper, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. No, I read. I really read in. Yeah. I really read into it. And what was striking to me, I wasn't a lawyer at the time. I was in college. I, I was at the time studying journalism. So um, I 
This really is the heart of everything. It was the heart yeah. of everything. And I and it was a, this sort of intersectionality between my social justice work right. and journalism. So I read everything I could get my hands on. I remember definitely Donald Trump taking out that ad in the New York Times calling for the death too. penalty. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remembered feeling myself that my male friends now were being not only other eyes, but being um, sort of diminished in a way and, and, and people would be fearful of them. So that scared me. And what also was shocking to me, even though I wasn't a lawyer, was there was no physical evidence. There, but there was evidence from someone else, an unidentified person. Mm-hmm. Yet they took these kids. And to be clear, you have children. I have children. Mm-hmm. They were 15. You know, Yusef was 15. And his thought at the time, because I've spoken to him about it, is these are the police. They're here to help me. So let me help them. Let me give them as much information as I can. Right. And this case was built solely on confessions that were illegally gotten after days and days of interrogation, something that is not allowed. It's just illegal. And uh, I remember Yusef telling me that when his mother walked into the police station and and demanded that they stop questioning him, um, that he felt that she probably saved his life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Which is why I'm such a mama bear. (laughs) Understandably. (laughs) I mean, absolutely, 100% understandably. Um, Yusef talked about forgiveness and how he came to forgive Trump, saying forgiveness allowed Mm. him to surgically remove himself from all of that harm. What was your reaction to that? I... uh, (laughs) I have a feeling I know, but tell me. You know, he's a better person than I am. <laughs> and that's it. There a different are pe- person. There are people that are better than you are. He is a better person than I am. He has much more grace than I have. I tend to, as you know, Brian, mm-hmm. don't believe in the when they go low, we go high. No. I sort of believe in meeting energy, mm-hmm. and I sort of believe in when they go low, I become small like an ant, and I go as low as the Earth's crust. <laughs> That's my belief system. That's pretty low, Sonny. I, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when he gave him that kind of grace, someone that wished death upon him, someone that basically wished a public lynching on five innocents, um, I don't think that I would have that kind of grace. I have to say, I don't think I would either. That, right? I would just yeah. say, oh, wow, karma didn't lose Donald Trump's um, address. No. That being said, I would like to remind you of your New Year's resolution that we discussed last <laughs> yes. time you were here and the idea that uh, you joy were embracing... Is, joy is resistance. Joy is resistance. And we talked about you making it to February uh, 14th. I, and I may I, not make it. Yeah, I feel like you're wavering a little <laughs> bit. I got to be honest. This week, uh, I'm starting to lose it. But we, we gotta, I'm, I may not make yeah. it. My father may be a better person than I am. Yeah, we'll we'll, we'll get there. (laughs) We'll be right back. Woodward and Bernstein, pen and paper, wine and cheese. What about the perfect pairing when it comes to growing your business? That's you and Shopify. (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Whether you're delivering daily digests or serving sensational scoops, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort, thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. No matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash view, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash view now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash view. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This is according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash view. Just go to Indeed.com slash view right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash view. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, I'm Andy Mitchell, a New York Times bestselling author. And I'm Sabrina Kohlberg, a morning television producer. We're moms of toddlers and best friends of 20 years. And we both love to talk about being parents, yes, but also pop culture. So we're combining our two interests by talking to celebrities, writers, and fellow scholars of TV and movies. Cinema, really. About what we all can learn from the fictional moms we love to watch. From ABC Audio and Good Morning America, Pop Culture Moms is out now wherever you listen to podcasts. We also had Coleman Domingo on today for oh. his movie, Rustin. Uh, what a fantastic actor. And and a fantastic film. Yeah. Um, Rustin. What was interesting to me was so many people didn't know Rustin's story. Um, and and one thing that I think we captured was, you know, the reason that, that uh, Bayard Rustin was a hidden figure behind the— who, who orchestrated the March on Washington, to be clear, mm-hmm. even um, MLK's speech— he was one of the people that sort of begged him to speak to the masses, along with Mahalia Jackson. Um, what a, the reason people didn't know about him was because he was openly gay when it wasn't done, right? So right. you're talking about the 40s, 50s, 60s, that kind of thing. And 
the civil rights movement was in large part uh, organized in the black churches. They were everything. If, if anybody gets a chance to watch Skip Gates's The Black Church documentary, he explains that mm-hmm. very well. And uh, Skip Gates does everything well, in my <laughs> view. But um, the black church has unfortunately had a problem with black homosexuality. And they felt that they could not organize as well. They could not get as much support if a black gay man who was, by the way, brilliant and a brilliant strategist and a brilliant organizer was the face of the March on Washington. And that's that saddens me. But but I took up African-American history in college because I knew I didn't know enough. And I learned his story. And it's a shame, again, going back to my previous point, that we're erasing this type of history, like every American child should know that Bayard Rustin was the organizer of the March on Washington, with, which led to really significant changes in civil rights. And when you think about it, if a young black gay boy knew that, wouldn't that change his perspective about what he was capable of doing? I'm certain it would. You know, and, and we talked about this yesterday when we when we filmed it. Most of the staff. Didn't I'd know. Say, didn't know anything about. And that was Rustin. so shock. That was so shocking right. to me, and I don't know why, but it was. I was like, "What?" And I actually also remember learning, and I, I think I'm right, that Rosa Parks wasn't the first person to refuse to give up her seat, but they felt that they needed a sort of fairer skinned. Oh wow. School teacher that was petite mm-hmm. with little um, spectacles to be the face of it, that it would be more acceptable to be able to get not only black people on board, but the country on board. Right. And and, and that's also sort of something people just don't know about. Right. All right. So this all goes back to the first thing we talked about, which is people need to know these stories. No, because this is not just black history. Right. It's American history. Absolutely. Which is why I guess I was so shocked that people didn't learn it in school. Okay, well, speaking of American history, um, we announced on our show last week that Vice President Kamala Harris will be joining us at the Hot Topics table this Wednesday. So what are you most looking forward to discussing with her? Listen, I've interviewed her uh, recently for Essence Fest, and um, I just think she's so incredible. I'm interested in speaking to her a lot about uh, about a lot of things. I'm interested in why uh, the administration is losing the young vote, Mm -hmm. uh, what they need to do to change course. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in whether or not she believes the administration has kept its promises to the black women Mm -hmm. who form the backbone of his win. And I'm interested in her vision for the next four years. What haven't they accomplished that she believes they can? Uh, That's great. Um, And I'm I'm looking forward to hearing those answers. And then with uh, you referred to Essence Fest. Yes, um, something happened at Essence Fest with you and the vice president. Um, yes. Yeah. You, you, uh, well, why don't you tell people? Well, usually when you are interviewing someone, um, and it's, you know, you have to travel to interview, you do bring two options. Mm-hmm. I never check a bag because <laughs> I feel that they screw you at the airport and you get a lost bag, a lost luggage tag all the time. So I don't check a bag. So I didn't have room for two suits. Mm-hmm. I only had room for one. And I chose a white Sergio Hudson suit that Sergio made for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I walk in to 
greet the vice president about an hour before and she is wearing basically the same exact <laughs> suit. And she didn't freak out, though. In all honesty, she didn't freak out. She was just like, oh, twins, you know, mm-hmm. twinning. And by the way, our birthdays on the same day. There so, you know, we're both members of Alpha Cap Alpha Sorority Incorporated. And then I see uh, my friend Valicia Butterfield, who used to be president of, I, I believe, the Grammys, Grammy organization, and we're the same size. And so she's she's like coming into the the, the space with clothing because she was going to interview someone. And she, of course, had more than one outfit because mm-hmm. you're supposed to. Maybe she checked a bag, Maybe she checked which was bag. probably wrong. Yep. But uh, I borrowed. I had to borrow a dress from her. All right. So we need to clear the outfit this time. I'm just saying we need to have <laughs> well, that conversation. I will tell you, I told our stylist, Fran, please find out what the vice president is wearing. Yes. Because I want to wear a particular outfit and I don't want to match. <laughs> but this is the best thing, guys. You know how people think that she doesn't have a sense of humor and how she's so stiff? Mm-hmm. I get a phone call on my cell phone from the vice president. And I actually thought it was my friend Regina making a joke. And so I won't tell you the stuff that I did. But she starts laughing out loud and she's like, no, Sonny, this is really the vice president of the United States. And I said, oh, my God, you really think I'm crazy now, you know? (laughs) And she said, no, she was laughing about all the stuff I was saying. And uh, she said, please, no, I would not have made you switch your outfit. And maybe next time we you interview me, we intentionally wear the same. OK, white well, suit. stay tuned. Folks. So, so stay tuned because you may see that. <laughs> that could uh, happen. But she she was that gracious about it. She just she wanted to make sure that I was OK with the experience. That's great. It's always interesting to me how the public perception of people and the, the backstage perception yes. never lines up. I always mention Hillary Clinton. Yes. Oh, she's so is, funny and warm. Hysterical. And then if you ask 20 people on the street, what do you think Hillary Clinton's yes. like? It's, it's, they She's think, clever. Yeah. And, no. and, and, and the vice president is very similar. It's been my experience, too. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, listen, thank you so much for joining us today, Sonny. Uh, tomorrow, I'll be joined by Sarah. In the meantime, if yes. you have a question or want advice from me or a co-host, check the episode description for the oh. number to our Behind the Table Hotline. We're giving advice now, Brian? Listen, we're going to be available for advice. (laughs) I think, listen, you know, there's a lot of questions people have. We see this with our audience all the time. So we're going to reach out to our dedicated listeners and get some questions. So what would you like, Sonny, to let you know, give you some advice on? Uh, Answer any questions you have. I can give very good advice on relationships. I know you can. I know you can. I think this will be good. If you uh, need some, some, uh, some ideas for revenge. I'm good at that. I think you are. I think you are. So that'll be great. In the meantime, thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. People who disappear without a trace. Where is she? The most notorious murder cases in New York. Pure evil. And the most devious killers. There's a Hannibal Lecter feel to him. For chilling true crime stories, follow the True Crime NYC podcast wherever you listen.